This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.com. Scripture reading today. Uh, First, we'll start in the New Testament, which comes from uh, from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And then we'll turn to our sermon text, which has been uh, the same sermon text each week as we've been walking through four segments of it, which will be in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, So first, if you'll turn with me uh, or follow on the screen, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God." Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Our Old Testament reading, uh, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, I just encourage you to have it open there to you that Isaiah... Um, Isaiah 7, 9 passage, verse 7. But just before we continue our titles of Christ, let's take a moment uh, just to pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, we come into your home. We are gathered under your roof, your sanctuary, under your word, and we gather as your people. And Lord, we gather to hear you speak. We gather to hear your voice your commands, your instruction. 
For, Lord, we are a needy people, and we know, Lord, that in you is life, and your words themselves give life. And so, Lord, as we gather here to celebrate what you have done through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we gather here hopeful, trusting that your word will not return void, that it will do its perfect work in us. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to our church. I pray that you would help us to be your hands and your feet to the people in our surrounding community, Lord, that we would point them to Christ, that all of us would be encouraged and strengthened because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. Lord, the love that you have bestowed upon us in the gift of Christ is absolutely astonishing. We're thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes and applies that finished work of Jesus to our lives. And Lord, so we gather here seeking to be encouraged in our faith, in our hope, and in our love. And we pray, Lord, that we would experience the peace that only you can provide. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. One of my favorite things when my children was in preschool was the opportunity they had to come on stage and stand before all those who were gathered at their graduation from preschool, and they were able to share what they wanted to be when they were going to grow up. There was an expectancy that I had kind of bubbled up in me. What will they say? What is it that ultimately draws their affection, their attention, their desire See, as a dad, I remember being in the hospital room. I remember there for all three of my children's births, being able to hold them for the first time. And I remember looking at those little little faces and thinking to myself, what will this child do in life? Who will they be? What will they achieve? What will they accomplish? And for each of them, I took the time to pray over them and ask God to minister in and through them. Interesting enough, in our text this morning, in Isaiah 9, the promised child is mentioned here, and and we are told that some 700 years before he was ever conceived in his mother's womb, who he was and what he would achieve is listed here in this prophecy. Listen to the titles. He would be the Wonderful Counselor. He would be the Mighty God. He would be the Everlasting Father. And finally, it says, in the culmination, I believe, of it all, it says, he will be the prince of peace. This one child would do all of that. This one child would literally bring peace upon the earth. His coming into the world would change everything. You talk about high hopes, great expectation. That this child's reign would change everything. The people of Israel longed for that day. They longed for the one who would come. The one who would wear the title Prince of Peace. The one who himself would bring peace upon the earth. His reign was greatly desired. After all, who doesn't want peace? The question was once asked, if you could choose Anything, what would you most want in life? The common thread to each answer was this, peace. Peace. 
People want peace in their marriages. People want peace in their families. People want peace in their workplaces. People want peace in their country. People want peace in the world. What do we desire most? Peace. Paul, in writing Romans chapter 8, explains the desire for peace as he talks about creation itself crying out. Creation itself is groaning and longing for that peace. We need it. We desire it. We want it. We crave it. And then there's one who been said would come and bring peace to the world. Friends, we live in a violent place. We live in a place filled with wars and rumors of wars. In just a little research that I did, simply scoping out the internet, I was surprised to see that in just 3,400 years, that's the time of recorded human history, humans have only enjoyed 268 of them in peace. That's only 8%. In fact, the number gets much smaller when you say, since 1945, there's only been 26 days of peace. Peace is something we crave. Peace is something we desire. And yet our text tells us that there is a promised child who would provide the peace that we seek. And just so we didn't make the mistake to think, well, maybe Isaiah messed up. Well, first of all, Scripture doesn't mess up. Scripture is absolutely true. But because this message was so important, it's repeated in a different way by a different prophet. Micah. In Micah chapter 5, verse 4, he begins and he says, referencing this promised one, he says, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and he shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And then there's this little line in verse 5. He shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. See, the promised one is our connection to peace. You talk about anticipation. You talk about desire to see this, this one brought to earth so that peace would now enter this sphere and everything would change. Just exploring this title that he's received, the prince, what does that mean? It means he'll be royalty, nobility. He'll be king. He'll be one who has dominion or power or authority. He is one who has a kingdom and has subjects. And yet it's not enough that he's simply a prince or a king. He will be the prince of peace. This is a description of his kingdom. Peace is a reference to the great shalom. It's the divine peace of Scripture. It's a picture there and in, in depicted in the sinless Eden before the fall. It's the picture of the perfect heaven. That's the idea of peace. In church, many kings and many rulers have come proclaiming peace. 
In our day, many politicians come proclaiming peace. Even great kings such as Solomon and Hezekiah, they prescribed peace, but they could not bring final and ultimate and lasting peace. According to our text, this kind of peace is found only in the promised one. This shalom is connected solely to him. See, in the Christ, he alone is the one who provides perfect peace. Why? Because that is who he is. Christ is peace. And Christ has come to provide peace for us. The early church father, Clement, he makes this statement. He says, the Prince of Peace highlights the king's role. It points that he is a source of peace. He's the source of prosperity. He is the source of the general well-being of his people. That's who this promised one is. Another way to get at the point is simply this. A king's worth is solely found in the value of his kingdom. And because this prince is the prince of peace, Christ's kingdom is described as perfect peace, the great shalom. Therefore, his kingdom has great value, far greater value than anyone else could ever provide. And yet in this list of names, we're told of the government that he shall carry. It's a kingdom that will have increased power or might, as he is called the mighty God. His kingdom is one that has increased wisdom. He is the all-wise one. It also provides peace. That's the contents of his kingdom. Power, wisdom, peace. After all, he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the prince of peace. And yet, don't miss it. We're also told that his kingdom will last forever. He is the everlasting father. Friends, as our text suggests, Christ the promised one came to bring true and lasting peace. But how will this peace come, one may ask? What will it look like? Before I can answer that question, I have to help you understand our need of peace. It's important that we understand the depth of our need of peace. We must go back, therefore, to the very beginnings of the Bible. Look in the early parts of Genesis, back there in the garden. That time when Adam and Eve were told they could eat of every tree of the garden except for one. And we're told that they ate the forbidden fruit. And by doing so, they brought sin into the world. And peace was disrupted. No longer were they in sinless Eden. But now they themselves have brought sin into the world. And with that sin, division. We see it in places like Genesis 3, 4, where it says, The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You read that, and you must understand that no longer were they naked and unashamed. No, now they had shame and fear, division. The text continues in verses 12 and 13 of Genesis 3, where it shows that division working itself out in the blame game. As man began to blame the woman, he actually says, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. It's her fault. Or how about the woman who blamed the serpent? But ultimately, they both blamed God. Division. 
And sin brought curse. To the woman in Genesis 3.16, it said, Your desires shall be for your husband, meaning to dominate him, to be in rule over him. But clearly the scripture says, but man will rule over you. You can imagine the friction in the home that this creates. Or how about to the man in Genesis 3, verses 18 and 19, which says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Even the very earth was now at war with man. And what about their own bodies? In Genesis 3.19 it says, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Their bodies were warring against them. Division was inside as much as outside. And ultimately, this division brought separation. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, we read that God drove them, the man, out of east of the garden. He placed a cherubim and a flaming, with a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. They were not allowed to be near the presence of God. Division. But sin also brought hostility. Hatred. In Genesis chapter 4, we read that Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, it says, The Lord looked upon the wickedness of man, it was so great upon the earth, and that every intention of their thoughts, of their heart, were continually evil. Division. Strife. Lack of peace. That's the problem. That's why we crave peace so bad because peace isn't just a problem out there. Friends, peace is a problem in here. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitfully above all things is desperately sick and wicked. That's who we are in our very being because of the fall of Adam and Eve. That's the problem to which we long for one who would come and bring peace to the world. And how would he bring peace? How would he bring peace to this fallen world? The promised one would have to bring peace by victory, by being victorious over the fallen world. But yet this victory would require war, conflict, battle, struggle. The one who would come would be a warrior. And yet scripture says this war did not look like we would expect. He came in the form of a child. Laid in a manger. How was this child going to bring victory for us? The prophet Isaiah gives us a glimpse in Isaiah 53 when he says, he had no form or majesty that we should look on him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from the men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. 
We are all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth. He was a lamb. He was led to the slaughter like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth. His victory came in a way that we did not expect. He came humbly. He came in the form of a child who lived an obedient life, one who many would say, is this not the carpenter's son? Can anything good come from Nazareth? This is the way he was viewed, and yet, even after doing amazing miracles and, and, giving, and giving teaching that stunned the masses, they rejected him, despised him, and placed him on a cross to die. But all this was to work out God's perfect will of bringing peace into the world. Paul tells young Timothy, he says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was our curse. The victory was found in him taking our place. In him being our redemption. And yet even his death wouldn't hold him down. Luke writes in Acts chapter 2, verse 24, God raised him up loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It wasn't possible because he is the prince of peace and he is victorious even over death. And because of this victory, do you know what that means for you and me? Paul writes in Romans 5 that we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. And this peace comes in many different ways, has many different explorations in the sense of the way it looks and is lived out. Yes, there's peace with God. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says, Christ reconciled us to himself. We also have peace with the family of God. We read in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for we're all one in Christ. Peace. We're also told that we're a new creature inside and out. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Peace. How about the peace we have with one another? According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. And Jesus' own words about his ministry said in Matthew 5, verses 23 through 24, so if you're offering a gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift and before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother, then come and offer your gift. Peace. Jesus' ministry from beginning to end was about providing peace. He came in the form of a child so that he could provide for us peace. He lived a sinless life so that we who are sinners could have peace. He went to a cross that we deserved, taking the judgment of God so that we could experience peace. 
He provides a church so that we can have brothers and sisters arm in arm and live in peace. Friends, we've been given and reconciled because of the love of the Father. It's already been said, but in John chapter 3, verse 16, we're reminded that love is the source when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's God's love which stems this peace. So you might ask, okay, we have peace, but how do I thrive in it? Because, Pastor, my life doesn't seem to be very peaceful. I know that Christ came. I know that Christ has provided this, but how do I thrive in it? Reformed theologian answered. He gave us five simple points. He says it all begins first and foremost with that we're sure that we're at peace with God. It begins by examining, self-examination. Am I truly trusting and resting in the finished work of Christ? Romans chapter 15, 13 says, May the hope of God fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Peace comes from God, being at peace with God, in the plan of God, through the gift of Christ, Son of God. This requires us to continue to learn to live in peace. Each of us, daily. It's about walking in faith. That's how we experience peace. Often the reason we don't experience peace is because we're too anxious about everything else going around us. The prophet Isaiah speaks to this when he says in Isaiah 6.26, he says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Faith is necessary to experience peace. This requires us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only do we need to be sure that we're at peace with God, that we're we're living by faith, but that we're actually walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? How do we make sure that we're at peace with God, that we're living in faith, that we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's important that we're saturated in the Scriptures. That we're saturated in the Scriptures. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, 165, he says, Great peace have those who love your law. You want to have peace in this world? Be saturated in the Scriptures. You know what's most vital? A faithful prayer life. Many of us don't have peace because we do not pray. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And hear this, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The church, you want to thrive in peace? It begins with your relationship with the Father through Christ Jesus. 
It requires faith and to be living by faith, to be trusting in his promises, to be trusting in his word. It requires to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit rather than in the dependence of yourself. It's about being saturated in the scriptures and being faithful in prayer. That's how we experience the power of the peace that has been provided through the Prince of Peace. See, Jesus came. He came, and this is wonderful news, for the wonderful Counselor has come. He is the mighty God. He is the eternal Father. He is the one who took on human flesh, and he came to bring us peace. For that is what his kingdom looks like. I can't help but think about Luke chapter 2, which I'll be speaking about tonight. And as I was reading the text, to hear the angels' song, do you know what they sang about? They sang about glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. For him to be pleased in us, we must be in Christ. For him to take joy in us, we must be in Christ. Friends, the reason we celebrate his birth is because his birth means peace. But it's not enough to simply celebrate his birth. We must also remember his cross. For his cross made peace possible. It was in his death that we were reconciled to God and to one another. The scripture says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus saying to his disciples before he departed, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the hope that Christ provides, the peace that is found in him and in him alone. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are truly walking in the power of the Spirit, who truly are saturated in the Scriptures, people of prayer, People, ultimately, who have faith and are at peace with you through the provision you made through your Son, our Lord, the Prince of Peace, Christ himself. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.com.